You're listening to the Harbor Worship Center podcast with Pastor Mike Saint. For more information about the Harbor Worship Center, please visit us at harborwc.com. Enjoy today's message. Oh, we'll say, oh, Jesus, help me. And, um, you know, we'll go through those types of motions, and there's nothing wrong with that. But is there an avenue, is there a way that we can actually approach the presence of God? And I believe the answer to that question is yes. And I think the door is open. There are some conditions that must be met. But you and I have a privilege to stand in front of an almighty God. Now, He sees us as we are. He sees us with what we're doing and all that we've gotten ourselves into. He sees that. But there are some qualifications to come into His presence. Are you hearing me say amen? Now, in the Old Testament, the Lord did... uh, People just did not enter into the presence of the Lord. Even the high priest... Even the high priest who was supposed to be, if we could think of it in these terms, the holiest man, if that can be possible, ladies, uh, of the era of that time in the Old Testament, he would appear before God one time per year for all the people, and he would uh, make intercession. That is, he would pray for all of the people one time a year when he entered into what is called the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God was. They were so reverent of the the place um, and the sacredness of the moment when the high priest would go in and meet with God, that, that he would pray, they would make sure he was dressed as he should be dressed, and they would get a hold to, I mean, they would just cry out. As a matter of fact, the other priest would keep the high priest up all night long the night before, reading and reciting scripture with him. They wanted to make sure that he was ready to meet God. Now, I don't know, but if we had an appointment with God, you know, at 4 o'clock today, you'd probably read your Bible from now then too. Amen? You'd probably pray and confess a few things and repent about some things. And anyway, and then the holy, uh, I mean, the, the high priest would would get himself dressed the next day and they would tie uh, bells around the fringe of his garment and a rope around his waist, and you say, whoa, wait a minute, I don't understand that. Because he would start walking through um, the outer court. Then he would come into the holy place, and then going on into the most holy, the holy of holies, where the presence of God was at. You see, it wasn't nothing to walk into the outer courts, because that was a common place. It wasn't really nothing uh, new for them to walk into the holy place, because that was still, even though it was a holy place, is where a lot of people went. But then there was one sacred place where only God's presence dwelt and only the high priest one time a year could go. And so he approached God with great fear, with great awe, and with trepidation. Because we understand when people came to God in a manner otherwise uh, than prescribed, they never walked out. Do you remember when the Ark of the Covenant was being brought back? To Jerusalem, David was bringing back the Ark of the Covenant, and a fellow by the name of Uzzah, um, he reached out to stable the Ark of the Covenant that was tumbling over, falling, and he thought he was doing God a great favor because the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. Are you with me? And he reached out and he touched what was forbidden to be touched, and God struck him dead. And somebody said, that's a mean God, because this guy was trying to keep God from hurting himself. God wasn't going to hurt himself. 
That was only the representation of the presence of God. And it could have bounced and rolled and, and, and whatever. And God can take care of it. The prescription was and the order was, don't touch me. Nobody was to touch that. And then he died. Are you with me? Say amen. And so that's why they tied the rope around the high priest. Because if he walked into the Holy of Holies, as long as the bells was ringing, they knew he was still all right. But if the bells got silent, there wasn't nobody going to walk in there and say, Hey, what's up, God? How's the high man doing? The high priest. They weren't going to do that. No, they were going to gather up a team and start tug of war and him back out of there. And then go bury him and say, man, he didn't have it all together when he met God. Now, I don't know, but if we had to stand out in that foyer and one at a time, if there was a big, thick, veiled curtain right here, smoke was billowing out, we can do that, or at least we try to emulate it. Anyway, and God was seated back here, and one of us would come down that side, and one of us over here, and we had to walk up these steps. Man, I'll guarantee you we'd be crying. There'd be a trail of tears. We'd be worried about how. But I want to tell you something. You don't have to fear meeting with God, because here's the deal. To start with, now, now you, there's some conditions, and we're going to talk about these it is not in my holiness that I meet the Lord. It is not in my goodness that I can come before Him. There is none good, no, not one. I don't care how sanctimonious you look in the mirror and say you are. There is none good, no, not one. Romans 3 and 23 says, All, A-L-L, have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us deserve to die we were all born in sin and shapen in iniquity. And it is by the grace and the mercy of an almighty God that we do not perish. And the only way we can come before God is if we have asked His Son Jesus Christ to be our righteousness. Amen. He became the supreme sacrifice. His blood washed our sins away, and we are justified. Now, let me help you with that word justified. It's just if I had never justified, just if I'd never sinned. Now, I'm not saying you keep on in sin. There's the difference between confession, which says I've done it, and I'm crying about it. Repentance says I don't want to do it anymore. I'm sorry. I'm turning 180 degrees away from it. Well, enough of introductory things. Let me say this. Hebrews tells us, in Hebrews chapter 4, and, and verse number 15, I believe it is, he talks about, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Notice verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly, Unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you don't have fellowship with God, it's because you don't go to His place. It's because you don't go to His house. Now, I'm not talking. Uh, you can meet with God wherever. Now, I, I'm not buying this. I'm saved. But I don't never go to church. So let me go ahead and get that off my chest. I go to church on Christmas and Easter and whatever. Me and God's got our own thing going. No, you're deceived and headed to hell. Amen? That's right. That's just how it is. You've, 
The devil has sold you a bill of goods and you have bought it hook, line, and sinker. That's how it is. Now listen, I'm not talking about people that are bedridden and cannot and, and those who... Uh, but when we just make an excuse to do everything else we want to do and we, you know, put him on the back burner. Let me say this. And let me give you an idea of what it's like to come into the presence of the Holy God. Now, I want to take you actually to heaven, if I may, in just a moment here. It comes out of Revelation chapter 4, and I'm going to try to read quickly, and then I'll go back and explain as much as time will allow me. Are you hearing me say amen? So, here's what happens in the throne room of God. You've heard me say that Jesus said in John 14, I, Don't be troubled, your heart be troubled, I'm going to go away and prepare a place, and if I go and prepare a place, I'll come again, right? Then we also know that he says that he was seated at the right hand of majesty, the right hand of the Father. So that's where he is. What does it look, what does the throne of God look like? Can we really approach him? And there's some things I don't want to have to split hairs right now with mortality and immortality. And you know there's a time when we're going to put off this corruptible and put on incorruption, put off mortal and put on immortal. Are you hearing me? So let, let me read this in Revelation chapter 4, and I'll try to read and just move right on. Uh, but I want you to catch this. This vision that I'm going to show you right here is just after the rapture of the church has taken place, and the saints of God are caught up into heaven. And John shows us a vision of the throne of God. And here it is. These things I looked, and behold, there was a door standing open in heaven, and a vo voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, Come up here and I'll show you the things that must take place after this. And immediately, by the way, I'm reading the New King James here. Uh, immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven. One sat on the throne and he who sat on it was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. There was a rainbow ar around the throne in an appearance like an emerald. And the throne, uh, around the throne were 24 thrones and the thrones of... Uh, 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes. They had crowns of gold on their head. From their thrones proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Um, but the throne there was, uh, before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne there was, uh, around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes, front and back. I'm going to make sense out of this for you if you're, you're saying, man, I don't know. Um, the first living creature was like a lion. The second was like um, uh, a calf. The third was like the face of a man. The fourth was like the, a flying eagle. And the four creatures having six wings were full of eyes around them, and they didn't rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him, who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord. To receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will they exist and were created. Now, I want to make some sense out of this. But here's what you need to know. If you don't know anything else is this. Look at me. We can approach God. We can. We can approach Him. We do not have a high priest so that is unable to empathize with our weakness, but he was tempted in every way like we are, and we can go and approach him. So that, that is incredible to know that we can approach him. So then why? Why should we approach Well, we can approach him 
to bring him our praise. That's what we've just done. Amen. You've seen it when we begin to lift up praise and we sort of enter into that presence of the Lord. Or His presence come down, sort of just comes around us and we just kind of get lost. It starts out in praise and then it ends up in worship. Amen. And but So why do we need that to obtain grace to help in time of need? So that we can go to Him with our praise, which we don't do enough. We can say, God, I've just come today to praise you. I've just come today to say thank you for my family. Thank you for my church. Thank you for my job and my car and whatever else. I've I just want to say, Lord, I just enjoy your conversation. Enjoy your presence. I just want to be where you are. And then there's times where you could come for intercession where you're saying, Lord, my brother is going through a trying time right now. Would you please help him? My sister's going through something awful. Maybe they've lost a child. Maybe they've lost a home. Whatever it is, but Lord, I'm interceding for my brother or my sister that's in need. Lord, my church is struggling. Or Lord, my family's hurting. My marriage is on the rocks. And I'm interceding and I'm petitioning you. So we can, that's why we need to come to God to praise Him, but we need to come to God to pray. We need to come to to, uh, offer our thanksgiving, to bring our praise. God has granted you and I permission to come into His presence. I'll never forget when I was in boot camp, when if we needed to see the drill sergeant, and you made that very... Uh, a, a limited thing. You didn't want to go, and most time, if you was going, it's because you had to go. And uh, I remember the first five nights or so that I was there, they stayed in the the, the dorms with us, and you go knock on that door, and um, you'd uh, I, I can't even remember how we'd say it, but it started out with sir, and it ended with sir. Are y'all with me? And uh, but nonetheless. He would say something back, basically meaning you've got permission to come in or you don't. If he didn't say anything, you stood right there till he did. He might be on the phone. He might be drinking coffee. I don't know. He might be doing anything. But you didn't just walk in. And when you did walk in, you addressed him. And, uh, of course, even though he was an uh, enlisted guy at that time in boot camp, you saluted him just so you'd learn how to salute officers when you got out. <laughs> But nonetheless, we didn't just go in any kind of haphazard way. Man, we looked at ourselves and made sure that we were that we were right. You didn't want to just go in any kind of, you know, lackadaisical way. How you doing, Sarge? It didn't work out that way. And it, it amazes me. Listen, there's a fine line here. We do not have to go straight lace and stiff neck toward God and say, Oh, God of our father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No, but we do need to go with respect. We do need to go with respect. We don't have to be all formal like that, but we do need to go with respect. And God has granted us permission to obtain grace from His throne to help in time of need. He has invited us to come. You remember this place in the Bible? He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He says, I'm knocking on your heart's door. And I want to come in and sup with you and you with me. I want to have that communion. And I'm going to tell you the problem. Many Christians want to have the benefits of the relationship with God without the sacrifice. So, what is it that God wants us to do? You can approach Him. You need to approach Him. So, what is it? He says, come unto me. So let us go unto Him. 
Let us find that grace to help in time of need. Let's go with confidence. Let's go with humility. Let, let me take you back to the vision and try to unpack a little bit of that. When John saw the door open in heaven... He said there was a door standing open. Uh, you remember that the door is something special. Uh, in, in Noah's time, the door was open for a period of time, and then God shut the door to the ark, and nobody else could open it. Then in the Jewish wedding, do you remember the Jewish wedding? When, uh, you know, they heard the sound, the bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming. You know, they'd hold their Jewish weddings late at night. And then you had to have a lamp that was trimmed and burning in order to make it in. The Bible says that the foolish virgins went to town to buy oil. And while they were gone, the bridegroom came and they shut the door. And they wanted to get in. And in this case, the door was shut and could not be opened. But he said in heaven there was an open door. He said in Revelation 3, 7 and 8, he said, He who opens uh, and no one can shut, and he who shuts and no one can open. But he says in heaven the throne is open there. He heard a voice, the sound of a trumpet, come up here. The trumpet is reminiscent of the old call to assemble together. In the Old Testament they would blast a trumpet to assemble the troops together and assemble the people. It reminds me of what Paul wrote. He said, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then John said, I looked up and I saw a throne. He said, uh, uh, the throne, it is literally the temple of God. Psalm 48. David wrote, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God and the mountain of His holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of our great King. So where is God's throne? If you study the Bible, you're going to find in the sides of the north. You're going to find Isaiah saying, Job saying, the psalmist saying. We're going to find multitudes of people in heaven. So let's take that visit, if we may. He sees him seated there. This is a theophany, if you will, the appearance of God. Uh, the one seated looked like jasper and sardius. That's red and purple. The one stone is like blood and the other is representing royalty. There's also, these are the first and the last colors of the prism. Can you imagine? Didn't he say, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last? And now i got the colors to show you. I just... That's my college. You ain't got to buy that. But there's a rainbow around the throne, the appearance of emerald. There's 24 thrones. This might have interested you a moment ago, especially young Christians, and so let me help you with that. There's 24 elders that are seated around the throne. So we've got God seated, and then you've got all of these 24 around him. Who are they? You see, 12 of these are the sons of Jacob. We call them the 12 tribes of Israel. Are you hearing me? Uh, their names are inscribed on the foundations of the holy city. The, the apostles are the other twelve. Uh, are you hearing me? Say amen. And, and you know, so it's amazing we look at God and then we see the disciples of the apostles, uh, not with Judas. Matthias took his place, you remember. And then the, the sons of Israel and the disciples, and there they are. They are in council, if you will, with God. He's seated on his throne. Let me tell you how Daniel saw him. Daniel said, I looked and behold, and I saw the Ancient of Days with a hoary head, white, a white head of hair. This is his depiction of him. But let me go on. He said, then I saw thunder and lightning. How many of you remember Mount Sinai? If you read that, when God gave the law on Mount Sinai, you remember? Guess what happened? 
When the presence of God come down on the mountain, Moses had went up on top of the mountain to pray for 40 days and for 40 nights. He's praying and while he's there, smoke come down on the mountain. The people in the camp said, look at there, there's God on the mountain. Moses is with God. But they got restless and, you know, uh, decided to go into idolatry and built a golden calf and said that's the God that brought them out of Israel. While the man of God is up there receiving a great revelation, holding the tablets and the finger of God. Some said the fire of God. Etching the Ten Commandments in stone. But what I'm telling you is thunder, lightning, smoke, the mountain quake with the power of God. These are things that happened on earth, but we see it now. Lightnings and thunderings happening in the heavens. Amazing. Then there's the, 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 the lamps that are burning. The, the flaming torches. This did not represent seven different spirits. But uh, you remember the seven churches? Uh, you remember the churches of Asia? You, you remember, uh, he says, it's, not, it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we three are one. It's not three, you know, a, a man with a split personality or something like that. God the Father, uh, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And, and Jesus would go on and say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm here to do the will of my Father. God would say, uh, I have sent my Son into the world. Jesus said, I've done what my Daddy sent me to do. He said, now it's expedient for you that I go away, because if I don't go back to Him, He can't send you the Holy Spirit. And if He does send you the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will draw you to me, and I'll present you to Him. That's how we get saved. Nobody turns over a new leaf. Nobody decided, well, I think I'm going to stop at that kind of new church today and just see what's kicking. No. The Holy Spirit draws us. No man comes to the Lord except the Spirit of God draws you. And when He draws you, what do we do? We put our faith in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father. And when He forgives us of our sins and comes into our heart, then we become, what I said, justified. And now the blood of Christ has been applied. Your sins are washed away. And God now can hear His Son Jesus say, My servant has accepted me, Daddy. My sir, he's accepted me. And so you get accepted in the family of God. Y'all hear me? Not based on your goodness, not on, not on your pedigree, not on your status, but on the fact that you are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, let me move on. There was four living creatures in this problem, or the sea of glass, let me get that, literally represents the floor of the throne room of God. Then the living creatures. I, I thought that this intrigued me. You know why? We've seen it in other places on numerous occasions. When I think about Ezekiel, when he saw the glory of God in chapter 1, you know what he saw? The face of a man, the face of an ox, the face of an eagle. Uh, Y'all with me? Uh, he saw the four living creatures the, and the face of a lion. Uh, that's what Ezekiel saw in chapter 1 when he saw the glory of the Lord. Um, and then other men had had visions. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And he saw such visions. And now we, we find in heaven, he says, Lo and behold, there was four living creatures. He said, I saw a lion, I saw an ox, I saw the face of a man, uh, and, and I saw the high-flying eagle. It amazes me. I was standing in line in 19, uh, or no, no, 19, uh, 2008. I was in Cleveland, Tennessee at the North Cleveland Church of God. Uh, and we were getting ready, oh no, I'm sorry, I was over at the Theological Seminary, and um, had some beautiful stained glass windows, and I had been uh, developing a message based on a book entitled, um, 
Oh, goodness. I can't even remember it now. Anyway, it, it talked about how each writer, four portraits, one Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Four pictures, one Jesus. How many of you know he'll bring all things to you? Remember, sometimes it takes a little bit. But. but Mark wrote first. And Mark depicted uh, Jesus as a bounding lion. Pouncing here, pouncing there. And there's beautiful stained glass. And there it was. The face of a lion. You remember Mark's gospel, man. He's bouncing here and there. And he's doing this and he's doing that. And then... Matthew wrote second, although his name comes first, but he was actually the next in line. And he, he portrayed, in other words, drew a portrait of Christ as the teacher of Israel. And if you look through the Gospel of Matthew, you're going to see him uh, more and more and more looked up to as the teacher of Israel. The human face. So, the, the lion, the human. And then Luke. Luke portrayed Jesus as a burden-bearing ox that was plodding along, slowly making his way down the Via Dolorosa, going to Jerusalem to be slaughtered, to die, the supreme sacrifice. So we have now the face of a bounding lion, the face of the teacher of Israel, a human, then the face of a burden-bearing ox. And then come John, who wrote last in the Gospels, and John depicted him as a high-flying, soaring eagle. And it amazes me that Nebuchadnezzar and Ezekiel and, the, and John the Revelator who lived thousands of years later, all of them when they saw the glory of God or the presence of God, they saw the same descriptive creatures. Hey! Hey, you want one more? I'm glad you do. Isaiah said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and His train filled the temple. And he said the seraphims cried, holy, holy, holy. The seraphim was a six-winged creature. With two wings, he covered his eyes. With two wings, he covered his feet. And with two, he did fly. They tell me in John's gospel, or John the Revelator right here, he says, guess what? There they were in the, in the presence of heaven itself, crying the same thing. Holy, holy, holy. You know what I learned when I was in seminary? It's a beautiful thing from one of our great teachers. That in that language, there's no superlatives. In other words, it's not great, greater, greatest. You can't say holy, holier, holiest in that sense, in that language, no superlative. So the angels said, there ain't nothing we can say to improve upon what we've said. So we just said, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, holy you are, holy you will be forevermore. Holy you were, holy you are, and holy you will always be. So, <clears throat> it is amazing me. To me, I look at these and I see this bounding lion. I see this teacher of Israel. Um, and, and then I see this burden-bearing ox headed down the Via Della Rosa. And I see the high-flying eagle. All of these described in the Word of God. Holy, 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 uh, who was and who is and who is to come. And I'm saying to you that we can... Approach Him. Now that's almost scary. If you say, wait, now there He is, the Ancient of Days, this great... How many of you ever been to court? Had to face the judge? I've been a few times. Amen. It's, you know, there's a little bit of fear and trepidation because you don't know what He's going to say, what He's going to do. Amen. And so, you, you know, 
Now, I know I've seen some idiots in life that go in there, you know, in a t-shirt, cut off blue jeans. And I've seen the judge say, um, call them by their name or whatever. Get back home and get dressed. And when you can come to court the way you ought to, come back. You know, so on and so forth like that. But I've seen times where you approach with fear and trepidation because you don't know. Can you imagine you go and approach God? Man, there's 12 thrones over here and there's 12 over there. It's the apostles of the Lord, the, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, and then there's God himself. And you're like, oh my goodness. But then when you realize, then when you realize that we're not coming in our righteousness because there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none good. But then when we realize who we identify with, that we have walked into relationship with Jesus Christ. He's forgiven us of our sins. And so guess what? We are covered now by the blood of Jesus Christ who sits right on this side of God. <clears throat> so then when he looks at us, he don't see us. Or he does see us. I mean, he sees us physically, our form, whatever. But he sees us through the prism of the blood of his son Jesus who said, I'll go. I'll be the supreme sacrifice. I'll be the one to take the hand of God and the hand of man and bring them back together again. Amen. And so we can approach God. Daniel said, I saw him until the thrones were set and the Ancient of Days took his seat. There was a vesture like white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. His wheels were burning. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him and myriads upon myriads were standing before him and the court was set and the books were open. And he's talking about the great white throne judgment. Us Christians won't have no part in that. We'll already have received our reward. Are you hearing me say amen? Listen, here's why you need to know that you can go to him. He's the only one that can make a difference. He's the only one that can change things in your life. Your life is a wreck. It's all messed up. You say, well, if I, if I had some money, you know what? There's people that have won the lottery. Millions and millions and millions of dollars that don't have a cent today. They are penniless. And some of them have even taken their life. He's the only one that can make a difference. Money might be nice. Having another friend might be nice. He's the one that can really make a difference. So that's, you can approach God. You need to approach God to praise Him, to intercede, to pray. I mean, just to fellowship, to be with Him. That's what He says. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I want you to come, He says. And then you need to do it because He's going to make a difference. He's the only one that can make a difference. I want you to know something. The throne of God, the Bible says, is forever settled in heaven. Amen? Did you know the Word of God is established and though heaven and earth pass away? And when he speaks of heaven and earth, he's not talking about... Um, did you know that right above our head, the starry space is called the heavens? But the third heaven, the place of God, guess what? It ain't going nowhere. Now, I know we're going to have heaven on earth for a thousand years in the great millennial reign and all that stuff. I understand. I got all that. Watch this. Your throne is forever settled. Your throne, O God, is forever, Hebrews said. David said in Psalm 45, Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord. Micaiah didn't say a whole lot. He's not a prophet that you recognize like Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah, Isaiah. 
Micaiah didn't write but just a little bit, but one of the things he wrote, he said, 2 Chronicles 18 and 18, Hear the word of the Lord. I saw him sitting on his throne and all of the host of heaven standing on his right and on his left. I'm going to tell you something, friends. These prophets that live thousands of years apart and in different geographical locations could not have colluded together. It's amazing that they saw the same descriptive animals, that they saw the elders, that they saw the sea of glass, the floor of the throne room, that they saw God and the description of Him. It amazes me to the accuracy. Psalm 11, the Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes, behold, His eyelids test the sons of men. Psalm 48, God sits upon His holy throne. Psalm 103 and 19, the Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His sovereignty rules over all. Isaiah said in chapter 6, I saw the Lord. In chapter 66, Isaiah said that the Lord said, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. When or where is a house that can be built for me and where is the place that I may rest? What he's simply saying is this. I am here and I prop my feet on the earth. And if you think you can build a house, listen, we built this beautiful church. If you think this can contain the presence of God, you are highly deceived. Amen. This is just one, one place. I, I'm going to blow somebody's mind right here right before we pray, but I'm going I'm to run the risk anyway. I want you to understand something. When Jesus died at Calvary, you remember the scourging, the beating, the gambling, the plucking of his beard, the plaiting of the crown of thorns, uh, all of that. You remember it was horrible, awful. And Jesus was there among thieves. They had, for robbery and sedition, murder, they had done some terrible things, but the innocent died with the guilty. And there he was, beaten and bleeding and dying. He had his seven last saying, you know, he says, Father, please forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And uh, all of the things, and then he cries out with a loud voice toward the evening, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you heard... Um, another whisper as he's about to expire and he gets enough breath and says it is finished and he hung his head and gave up the ghost father into thy hands I commend my spirit all of a sudden guess what happened the sun hid its face the earth went dark the sun did not shine the birds that were singing quit singing the earth began to tremble and quake. A Roman soldier looked up at him, seeing and hearing all that was happening abroad. The silence of the fowls of the air, the sun refusing to shine, and the earth beneath his feet trembling. And he said, truly this man was the Son of God. This guy had no doubt executed hundreds of guys. He'd seen it all before. He'd seen the crying of the family. He'd seen the tears. He'd calloused himself. But something was different about this guy. Something was different. Jesus looked at the executioners with love in his eyes and said, I forgive you. 
something was different about this man. All of a sudden, while they're there, you know, it's not long that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus come and beg his body from Pontius Pilate, and they want to take him down because it's getting dark or about to get dark and all of that. And somebody comes running from the temple and says, Hey, hey, guess what? The veil in the temple. Remember that big curtain I told you all about right here? that separated the outer court, which would be the vestibule and the foyer, and then the holy place, which would be right here, and then the holy of holies. Somebody come and said, guess what? No, man, what is it? The veil in the temple has been rent in twain. That means torn in two in our language. From top to bottom, if you understood the measurement, there's no way it could have happened. It had to be a God thing. And here's what the deal was. When Jesus Christ bled and died for you, and I, and, and when his blood reached the mercy seat in God's throne in heaven and he became the propitiation for our sin, when he died so that you and I could live, guess what? All of a sudden the veil in the temple has been rent in twain. Hear me now. This is going to mess some of your theology up. There are no more holy places. There is not a place on earth that is so holy you can't go. Jesus said, because I died and shed my blood, and you accepted that on your heart, you can pray to the holy God where you are. What he did at Calvary made him approachable. No longer does it have to be the high priest. No longer does it have to be the bishop to go talk to God for you. You can get up yourself and say, I'm going to see God today. Stand on your feet with me, if you will. John said, I saw him. Isaiah said, I saw him. Ezekiel said, I saw him. Daniel said, I saw him. Micaiah said, I saw him. Stephen said, I saw him standing at the right hand of God. Paul said, I was caught up into the third heaven and saw things unlawful for me to tell you. So Paul said, I saw him too. An approachable God. Thank the Lord. I don't have to wait on our general overseer or our state overseer. Thank God you don't have to wait on me. You might have ticked me off and I don't want to talk good to God about you. But thank God every one of us, no matter how stained and soiled and spoiled and no matter how much of a brat or a tyrant we've been, we can go to the throne of God. With respect, with the blood of Christ applied to our life and say, matter of fact, the only way you're going to get to see him is through Jesus Christ. I don't care what Oprah says. I don't care what Tyler Perry or any other preacher, white, black, red, yellow, green. I don't care. There is one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. One way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. It is not Joseph Smith or, or Buddha or Muhammad or someone else. It is by the blood of Jesus Christ. You were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of a spotless lamb. John the Revelator said, slain from the foundation of the world. John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And he said, oh, he's coming after me, preferred before me. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I'm not even worthy, he said, to stoop down and loose the latchet of his shoes. 
But right here before we pray, I want you to get this. Some of you might got a little confused. You say, what? I don't know God the Father, God the Trinity. Well, he said, John baptized me. John's going to baptize Jesus. When he takes him down and brings him up, heaven opens. God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. God the Father in heaven, the son being baptized on the earth. And the prophet had said, it is the one that the dove that the Spirit lighteth upon, that is He. And then the Holy Spirit manifesting Himself in the form of a dove. Did you know spiritual beings can manifest themselves how God sees fit for them to manifest themselves? Huh? Y'all didn't know that. Someone saw God and said, I saw a flame of fire. Moses at a burning bush. It was different because the properties were changed. Most things for us, they burn and they burn up. But a bush burned and did not burn up. I tell you, God was in the bush. Oh, the Bible did say He is a consuming fire. He is a crushing hammer. Are y'all with me? Let, let me tie this up. If you're here today and you feel like you're not good enough to talk to God, you feel like other people, I mean, pastor can talk to God. I mean, he speaks for him every week. I mean, these preachers and people, you know, the credential people, the people that sing, I mean, Lord, they sing like angels and they can talk to God. Maybe your life group leader, you look at them and say, man, they, they've got such an understanding. Let me tell you this. Anybody here can talk to God. I don't care if you don't have an education whatsoever. I don't care where you're at in life, who your family, or how bad your rap sheet is. Everybody here can talk to God. Everybody can. I want to invite you to do that with me right now. My heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I thought he was unapproachable. I thought I, I could never talk to him. But I'm glad to know today that I can. If you're here today and heads are bowed, eyes are closed, it's just you and me and the Lord. Would you just lift your hand right up and say, I can talk to God. Come on. I want to see if, let me see hands. If you, if you mean that, put them up, put them up, put them up. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at harborwc.com.